Good morning, fellowship. We are glad that you are here with us this morning to worship together as a family of believers after what's probably been a long week or a full week. And just to focus our hearts this morning, we're going to read this passage together from Psalm 100. Will you guys read with me? Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs and know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Can we stand together this morning and sing this? For my waking breath, for my daily breath, I depend on you. I depend on you for the sun to rise, for my sleep at night. I depend on you. I depend on you. Let's sing this together. You're the way. You're the way, the truth, and the light. Lord, we follow you with your spirit as I'm following. I depend on you. I depend on you for the I depend on you, I depend on you, you're the way, the truth, and the life, you're the well that never runs dry, I'm the branch and you are the vine, draw me close and teach me to abide. Depending on him for all things. When I pass through death as I enter rest, oh, I depend on you. I depend on you for eternal life to be. I depend on you. You're the way, the truth, and the light. You're the well that never runs dry. I'm the branch, and you are the vine. Draw me close and teach me to abide. Be my strength, my song in the night. Be my own. 
Remind ourselves of his character. You're the way. You're the way, the truth, and the lie. You're the well that never runs dry. I'm the branch, and you are the vine. Draw me close and teach me to abide. Be my strength, my song in the night.
that we are not God, that you are, and we bow the knee, and we admit that we're dependent on you for all things, that really we have no control over, and God, that we need you. So Lord, would you meet us where we are this morning, for every single person, and would you unify us as your body, as your church, that we look to you, amen. So grab a seat. Good morning, my name is Aaron Parks and I'm one of the ministry leaders here at Fellowship Fayetteville. I get to work with our Fayette Kids uh, team and work with all of y'all's kids. And I gotta say, as I was standing back there listening, it's just, I get so excited to be a part of a body of believers who acknowledge their need for Jesus. And that we encourage one another in that, that we cannot do this on our own. We have got to rely on Jesus. And so I was just really struck with that as we were hanging out back there. And so thanks so much for encouraging me in that. And now I get to encourage y'all because we get to celebrate some life change. I'm so excited. We get to celebrate some life change with Anna Spears this morning. And we get to hear about uh, what God has done in her life. And this story is even bigger than just Anna's faith. It's uh, God's faithfulness to her whole family. And so we get to celebrate with them. So Alan. Morning, church. This is my daughter, Anna Spears, um, and I'm proud to say she's a follower of Christ. Um, a little over a year ago, she started a Bible study led by Bob Renfro, who most people call Papa. There she grew in the Word and accepted Christ as her Savior. Um, I'm very excited to be able to baptize her today. So, Anna, is your testimony today that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Excellent. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for your blessing so many years ago to send us a Savior. Because of his ultimate sacrifice, we're justified by faith and we're saved by his blood. And Lord, today we, we honor him by following his example in baptism. Amen. So Anna, I baptize you now, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness in life. So I didn't get you too much. Well, I've got a couple other quick stories of what God is doing here at Fellowship Fayetteville. There's a guy that I respect a ton. His name is Matt Newman, and he recently encouraged us saying, hey, I wanna just tell the stories of what God is doing over this last week. And so that's what I'm gonna do this morning. Last week in Fayette Kids, um, we got a chance uh, to pray for what's going on on the other side of the world in the Ukraine. And then they sang this song, and these are the lyrics of the song. It says, we must go live to feed the hungry Stand beside the broken, we must go. Stepping forward, keep us from just singing. Move us into action, we must go. And I wish you guys could have been there to hear as they sang these songs. It's amazing to think about what the kids here at Fellowship are learning, the passion that they have to follow Jesus. It's inspiring. I love being over there. And so it's amazing to see what this generation, the way that they're taking their faith seriously. And they love Jesus. And they're not afraid to let other people know about that. And that's an awesome thing. Second story has to do with these Lent books. Now, if you guys are like me, a few years ago, I had no clue what Lent was. And I've recently learned, and Lent is to Easter what Advent is to Christmas. It's a time where we can prepare our hearts and point our minds and our hearts toward Jesus and towards what we're celebrating, the resurrection at Easter. And so we have these devotions uh, for families to take. And so there's some out there in the foyer. There's a bunch down in Fayette Kids. And so be sure and grab one of these. This is an awesome opportunity that you have to dig into God's word each night as you point your hearts and your kids' hearts and your family's hearts and whoever's at your house that night, you point their hearts towards Christ. And so these are out there. Be sure and grab one of those uh, and, and, and work through those. But another story about these uh, a really, really awesome thing is there are several churches here in Fayetteville, Central United Methodist, Genesis Church, New Heights, and St. James Missionary Baptist Church that we're all walking through these Lent books together. And so all over Fayetteville, there are families who are digging into God's word together. 
that's an incredible thing. And I actually was dropping a few of these off at a friend of mine, his name's Stephen, he works at St. James, and he needed a few extra because he didn't order enough in the beginning because there's more families that wanna go through this. And I met Miss Adrienne, and she works with college students there, and she said, I'm so excited about this because there's about 200 college students, current and former college students that I have in my group me, and I'm gonna group me them every day with these verses because I want them to engage in this. So there's people all over Fayetteville preparing their hearts and their minds to celebrate the resurrection. And so be encouraged. Be encouraged with what God is doing here in Fayetteville. It's exciting to get to be a part of. And so as we continue to worship, as we sing, everybody close your eyes. I would love for us to pray together. And let's just sit in silence for a second and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. that are nagging you? Are there stressors that you just can't stop thinking about? Is there something in your life that's keeping you from opening up your heart to God? Jesus, we know that you are good. You're filled with goodness. And so as all of us in here this morning hear of what you're doing here, each of us have what's going on in our hearts right now. Father, I ask that you meet all of us here. And as we sing about your goodness, remind us of how good you are. We love you and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. song this morning. If you would, just take this in.
we, we don't do this off, often here, but we're gonna take a moment and pray over our offering that we're about to take. And there's gonna be a prayer that's gonna come on the, on the screen. And I'll just encourage you where you're at to just make this an honest prayer from the heart. Just a reminder, we don't give out of guilt. We give out of obedience and out of stopping and realizing what we've been given. And from a thankful heart, we give out of that. So if you would, would you take a moment as this prayer is on the screen to evaluate where your heart's at and maybe be honest with God and then pray this for our city, for the people that you know. So take a moment, let's pray this together and we'll continue. stand with us. Let's sing this together. My worth is not in what I own, not in this strength of flesh alone, but in the costly wounds of love. My values fixed 
We thank you for the cross this morning. We thank you. That's where our value is. Our value is in the cross, the finished work of your son. So we look to him. Lord, you teach us from your word this morning that we would leave here different. Holy Spirit, we can't do that on our own. We need you to do that for us. So teach us from your word. In your name I pray. Amen. Take a seat. What comes into your mind when you hear the word Deconstruction. You probably have an image of something being torn down or at least taken apart. And that's the idea behind a concept that's got a lot of momentum in our culture right now. That word, deconstruction. It's being applied to people who are, are taking their faith and taking it apart, observing each piece of it and asking themselves, why do I believe what I believe? And should I continue to believe that? But unfortunately, what we're observing is it's not always being done in a healthy, scripture-focused way. Oftentimes, it's being done in an unhealthy way, and the end result, unfortunately, is people losing their faith completely. It's such a common phenomenon right now that as we were praying about what we should do in this little three-week window between the end of our study of Ruth and the beginning of our study of John, we felt like the Lord was leading us to address it, and the result is, is this concept. Reconstruction, reconstructing your faith. If something's been deconstructed, it's been taken apart, it's been torn down, what is built back to replace it? And the answer to that question seems to be eluding a lot of people in this deconstruction conversation. And so, here at Fellowship Fayetteville, our goal is to create a place where this conversation can happen in a healthy way, a safe space. We want people to be able to discuss their doubts. We want people to ask the hard questions. And we want those who may be struggling with some aspect of their faith or even struggling with their faith itself to be able to come to an honest conversation where a fellow traveler on their faith journey will come alongside them to listen to them and encourage them as they seek answers for themselves. And so this morning, during our time together, we're going to reconstruct the idea of the church because the truth is, for many, their deconstruction begins with their dissatisfaction, not with God, but with the church. My name's Michael, I serve on the community team here, and I'm really glad that we're doing this series, and I really appreciate so many of you have encouraged us during this past week. You've said how glad you are that our church is talking about this, and many of you have shared with me how you're having great conversations in your community groups, and I'm I thank the Lord for that. At the same time, man, this is a hard topic. Talking about the church is difficult, beginning with the fact that when we talk about the church, there's a bunch of definitions. It's so broad. Oftentimes, when we think of the church, we think of the building, right? If my wife, Lee, calls me in the evening because I've worked too late, and I'm still in my office, and I say, I'm still at church, she doesn't say, honey, the church is a people, not a place. No, she knows what I mean. The church is a building. But of course, the biblical use of the word means the people. The word that's commonly translated as church in our New Testament is ecclesia. And it originally meant a called out group, an assembly. And it's translated church. And so here we are, Fellowship Bible Church, a group of people 
called out by God, assembled with a mission of taking the good news of Jesus Christ to our community and the world and, and encouraging each other to pursue Christ with our lives. But church also means all believers. Some people call that the universal church or some people say the big C church. That would be everyone who's following Jesus all over the world. And y'all, the big C church's press has not been good. We've seen whole denominations rocked by sexual abuse scandals. Spiritual leaders committing horrible sins, sexual sins against children, and other leaders involved in covering that up. We've seen high-profile Christian leaders exposed as frauds, people whose charisma and communication skill and media savvy outstripped their character and their sins eventually found them out, bringing whole movements down. And thanks to the power of social media and online community, victims of abusive systems have been given a voice. Light has been shined on some terrible practices inside the church, practices that were at best unhealthy and at worst evil. When one of these prominent evangelists was exposed after his death as a sexual predator, one of my good friends and a close brother in Christ, he asked me, how do I reconcile this? How do I reconcile this man's life with his ministry? How do I wrap my head and heart around the fact that this man I respected so much and who, to be honest, taught me a lot of biblical truth was living this double life and participating in this gross Sin. That's the question for all of us. Individually or collectively as a church, how do we answer that question? And, and equally importantly, what do we say to our non-believing friends when they point to these things? To our friends who are deconstructing and at risk of losing their faith. Well, as believers, we cannot stick our head in the sand and pretend there are no problems with the broader church. But more importantly, we don't need to deceive ourselves into believing that we're somehow immune, that the kind of things we've seen happen in other churches and parachurches, some that we're aligned with, that those things can't happen here. So let me start there. Let me start by just addressing the pain that so many have experienced at the hands of those who claim to be followers of Jesus. Pain that's been inflicted upon people in the name of the Christian church. It breaks my heart to see the result of some of the things that have been done by Christian leaders or those in positions of authority in the big C church. And I know it breaks the Lord's heart. We all remember the only people Jesus had a harsh word for during his earthly ministry were the religious leaders, those who had been assigned by God to shepherd the people of Israel and who instead were intent on protecting their own status and power, people who praised God with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. And so as a church leader and fellow follower of Jesus, I wanna say to anyone here who's been hurt by the broader church, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that someone in the church failed to love you well. I'm sorry that the very people charged with bringing you closer to God may have pushed you further away. I'm sorry that a church wound is forever part of your story. And if there's one thing I've learned from Celebrate Recovery, it's to use I and me statements. And so I want to say to anyone that I've hurt through a misplaced word, a misguided action, anyone that I've hurt through a, a failure to say the right thing or a failure to do the right thing, I'm sorry. 
And I want us to start from there this morning. I don't want any of us, and I'm looking in the mirror as I say this, I don't want any of us to go into this topic thinking the problem is somewhere else with someone else because the problem starts right here in the heart of every single person because we all wake up every day needing the grace of God to love well and lead well in his name. And the minute we start thinking that we're not capable of messing this whole thing up, the enemy has us right where he wants us. And so let's pray. Let's just go to the Lord and ask him to guide us as we move into this together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that each of us would approach this topic with humility. And Lord, let us right here at Fellowship Fayetteville, Fellowship Bible Church, let us be agents of health and healing for your name's sake. And may it start in these next few minutes together. And I pray for that in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's our roadmap for our time together this morning as we reconstruct the church. We're gonna look at how the church got started. How did we end up doing what we're doing today? We're gonna look at what the church is according to the Bible and then in our last few minutes together, we'll look at how we're to respond. So how did this whole thing, this ecclesia, this called out body of believers get started? Well, it's documented pretty thoroughly in the book of Acts. Acts was written by Luke who was an early follower of Jesus. He was a physician, he was a historian, and he begins the book of Acts with a picture of Jesus right before he ascends into heaven, and Jesus tells the disciples, I want you to wait until you receive power from the Holy Spirit, and then I want you to take this gospel message to your city, your state, your region, and eventually to the whole world. And that group of believers did exactly what Jesus told them. They went to Jerusalem and they waited. They waited until the Feast of Pentecost, which is also called the Feast of Weeks. All right, quick aside, I'm pulling out of Reconstruction for a second. I have to tell you this. Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, that was when the Book of Ruth was traditionally read. The Book of Ruth that we just finished studying likely was read right before this happened. Pretty cool. Okay, back into the sermon. So 50 days after the crucifixion, the Holy Spirit comes and empowers the church. And Peter preaches this Holy Spirit-empowered sermon, and 3,000 people come to know the Lord. The church is born. And I think we're tempted to think, man, the early church, just a bunch of people walking in the Spirit, sharing their faith, changing their city, and all those things were happening. But while those things were happening, there were problems right off the bat. So the church is born in Acts 1, has explosive growth in Acts 2, and then if we turn over to Acts 5, just a couple of chapters later, we see a story of a husband and wife named Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira were church members who were more interested in appearing holy than actually being holy. And so they lied. Peter said they lied to the Holy Spirit. He said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Now think about some of the problems we have in the church today. People whose position is bigger than their character. People interested in building up their name, not the Lord's name. Ananias and Sapphira were those people, and they were there in the earliest days of the church. Lest you think this is just an isolated incident, we turn the page, the very next chapter, Acts chapter six, it begins with grumbling. It says that the, the Greeks or the Hellenists, they didn't feel like their widows were getting as much food as the Jewish widows. There's already dissent in the church. And notice that it has a racial overtone. This, again, is in the earliest days of the church. And then we don't have to go forward very many years to the ministry of the Apostle Paul, and we see him writing to a church he planted in Corinth, and he tells them there's sexual immorality among you of a kind that's not even tolerated by the pagans. From the very beginning, there have been those who committed sexual sin inside the church. 
So here's my point with all these examples. I think we're tempted to think, man, the church used to be holy. The church used to be pure. The church used to be, can I say it? Perfect. But the clear record of scripture is that it was not, not from the very beginning. Because the church has always had problems because it's made up of sinful people. And if there's one thing the Bible's crystal clear on, it is that people are a mess. Yes, we're made in God's image. Yes, we're all infinitely valuable to him and we should treat each other as such. But Romans 3.10 says, none is righteous, not one. If you think I'm overstating that or taking it out of context, read the whole thing, Romans 3, 10 through 18, it's pretty strong. As long as there are people involved, there will be sin and there will be problems. You may have heard about the, the man that was on the desert island for an extended number of years and when the rescue party came, they saw he had built three structures. They said, tell us about your three structures. And he says, well, that, that hut, the first hut, that's my home, that's where I live. And, and the third hut, that's my church, that's where I worship. They said, what about the middle hut? He said, oh, that's my old church. As long as there's a person, there's gonna be a problem. So y'all are thinking, man, Michael, we're halfway through this thing and all you've done is pour bad news on us. Let's shift gears. Let's move to the middle part of this, what the church is. Our primary text for this morning is gonna be Ephesians 3. I wanna encourage you, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. We're gonna spend a good little part of our time in Ephesians chapter three. Ephesians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church that he planted. And this morning is a little bit of a sneak peek because guess what we're gonna study this fall? We're gonna go through the whole book of Ephesians. But this morning, we're just gonna drop into the middle of it in chapter three to make a a simple observation about what Paul says. We're gonna pick up a little bit in chapter five as well, but we wanna look at what Paul was teaching about the church. We're gonna pick it up in verse seven. Paul says, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. What's Paul saying here? He's saying that by grace, the unmerited favor, he didn't earn this, just a gift from God He's been charged with sharing the gospel, the message that Jesus is the world's Messiah and Israel's true king, and that by placing our faith in him, we can have eternal life. Paul says he's been given the power, that's the Holy Spirit, to accomplish this mission, this mission of sharing the gospel. He continues in verse eight. He says, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So Paul says he's been charged with taking this gospel message to the Gentiles, to those outside of Israel. And through his preaching, he's revealing a mystery hidden for ages. Now, when the Bible refers to a mystery, it doesn't mean something we don't know. It means something we didn't know, something that was hidden but's now been revealed. It's like the end of a mystery novel when the truth comes out. And Paul says the mystery he's referring to is racial unity in the church. The church was for Jews and Gentiles. Nobody knew that until God revealed it in the first century AD. Look at verse six. Paul says the mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul says this is a, a mystery. It was hidden in God. So this was in the mind of God, but not revealed until the time of Paul, that Jews and Gentiles were no longer separated, that through the gospel message, the whole world, every race would be united in Christ. And then look at verse 10. He says, here's God's plan for this. He says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. 
This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Did you catch that? This was the plan that God had in mind all along. The church. And that phrase, the manifold wisdom of God, it's it's fascinating. In the original Greek, it means the very many-sided wisdom of God. It's the only place in the New Testament this word's used. Here's how I think of it. Picture a diamond being turned. If you're like me and you don't have any diamonds, think of a jewelry store commercial. A diamond being turned. And it catches the light. Flickers. It's like that. Paul says, God has turned the many-sided diamond of his wisdom, and now we see it in a new way, through this new thing called the church. He says in verse 11 that it was God's eternal purpose. He had this plan from before creation, and now Paul says it's here. It's come to pass. Then look at verse 13. He says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you which is for your glory. In other words, Ephesian church, don't give up. Oh, the Ephesian church was far from perfect. They had difficulties. Paul warned them that they were gonna have some bad elders come in. That warning he gives them is where we get the phrase, wolves in sheep's clothing. Jesus himself warned them that they were at risk of losing their first love, which was Christ. But Paul says here, you're God's plan. Church, You reveal God's many-sided wisdom. This multi-ethnic, cross-cultural, messy, but beautiful thing called the church reveals God's wisdom and points to his son, Jesus. This difficult thing called the church, Paul says, was God's plan from the very beginning Just think, before God created anything, he already knew that he was gonna use the church, a group of called out believers assembled to help put back a little part of what was broken by the fall. And in case that's not a compelling enough argument, Paul's gonna kick it up another notch in chapter five. Turn over one page to Ephesians chapter five. In Paul's teaching on husband and wives, he reveals another mystery, something previously unknown and now revealed, and it's this, that the church is actually the bride of Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter five, verse 25. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy without blemish. Jesus loves the church and he's sanctifying her, setting apart the church so that he might present her. Or maybe I should say so that he might present us as his bride, holy and without blemish. Paul says in verse 32, This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Think about what he's saying here. He says it's profound. When did God create marriage? In the Garden of Eden, before the fall, when he created a man and a woman perfectly suited for one another. And Paul says, here's something that wasn't revealed until now, that from the very beginning, this thing called marriage was always to point to the relationship between Jesus and the church. God didn't give us marriage to help us understand each other. He gave us marriage to help us understand the relationship we have with Jesus as his bride. Every one of you in here, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're part of this spotless, holy, sanctified bride So how do we respond to something like that? What is our response to what the Bible says about the church? Well, number one, value it. Value the church. I'm not talking about fellowship. 
talking about the bride of Christ. Believers all over the world for 2,000 years and counting value the church. We're gonna be here until the Lord gathers his bride and takes us out at the rapture. And so we need to treat it accordingly. That means we never delight when the enemy gets a victory within the church. We're never happy when some ministry leader is exposed as a fraud. Even if they're not part of our tribe, even if we never really liked them to begin with. Anything that harms the broader church should grieve us. This also means, as we value the church, that you can't go it alone. We've all heard people say things like, my church is the lake. I'm closer to God in a boat than I ever am sitting in a building. And experientially, for that person, that might be true. We do experience God through his creation. But that's less than God's best for us because he wants us to be part of the church It's where the manifold wisdom of God is being revealed. And it's revealed through how we treat each other and how we proclaim Christ to a lost world and how we reach out in the love of Christ to people on the edges. And we can't do those things alone. We need to be part of this bigger thing that God's doing called the church. It's God's plan for us and it has been from the very beginning. Second, we pray for the church Jesus himself prayed for the church in John chapter 17. We should follow his example and pray for unity. We should pray for strength. We should pray for protection. So pray for fellowship. But also pray for New Heights and the Grove and Harvest Bible Chapel and Hill City Church and UBC and Cross Church and First Baptist Fayetteville and all the New Testament churches. God wants to use all of his body, all of his bride. Pray for our church plants here in Fayetteville and surrounding areas. Pray that they'll get established and reach people that we'll never reach. Pray for God's wisdom to be revealed. Pray for his bride to be pure. And then last, participate in the church. If fellowship is your church home, be part of what we're doing here. If fellowship's not your church home, then Take these verses and apply them to whatever your context is. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 12 that all of us have been given different gifts and we all have different roles to play. And so if you don't play your role, the church is incomplete. If you're sitting on the sideline because you're hurt or because you're angry or let's be honest, just because you're busy, the church is not complete. Paul told the Ephesians in chapter four, they all had good works prepared beforehand for them, and that's true for us too. Now, God, in his sovereignty, he's gonna accomplish his purposes, even without us, sometimes even despite of us. But we're the ones who will miss out. If we're sitting on the sideline, we will miss the joy of doing the very things God created us to do. And so my plea to you is the same as Paul's plea to the church at Ephesus, don't give up on the church. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's messy. Sometimes it's painful. But it's also God's beautiful plan to reveal his many-sided wisdom and to prepare for his son Jesus, a bride. So don't give up on that. And if you're not the one struggling with this, Have a soft heart for the one who is. Give them a listening ear. Listen to their story and believe them. Love them well. And then call them back. Back to their Savior who gave his life for them. Back to his bride, the church. Because if they're a follower of Jesus, that's where they belong. Lord, thanks for this opportunity to just open your word together. Lord, I pray that you would return those who have wandered, that you would restore those who are broken. And Lord, from now until you're finished with your work on earth, I pray that you would be glorified in the church. In Jesus' name.
In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is teaching one of his greatest sermons, and he says, you are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And we're going to sing a song that speaks directly to that. As the church, if we see something wrong in our city, we're not allowed biblically to point the finger and ask, what are you going to do about it? It's on us as the church to bring good news to the poor, to help the marginalized. We're not able to point the finger at others, but point the finger at ourselves and go, what am I going to do to help change that? And so this song, if you would, would you stand with us? We're going to sing this. It's called Let There Be Light. And it's just a, a prayer of the church, that there would be good news that would embrace the people around us. And so sing this with us when you catch on. Good news embracing the poor, comfort for all those who mourn, for the brokenhearted. We sing louder, release from prison and shame, oppression turning to praise for every captive. Sing louder, good news embracing. For all those who mourn, for the broken hearted, we sing louder. Release from prison, oppression turning to pain for every captive. We sing louder, restoring sight to the blind. Thank you for not giving up on your bride. Whenever we've made a mess of things, Lord, from the very, very beginning, you sent a rescuer in Jesus. Lord, in this church, it has to be centered on you. You're the head of the church. Lord, for all of us in this room, when our lives reflect the good news of you being the king, the true king now and forevermore, we bow the knee to our own agenda, Lord, and Get on board with what you've called the church to be. God, we need your help in that. It's through your Holy Spirit that we pray that. Amen. This morning, if you'd like some prayer to my left, to your right, we'd love to pray with you in our prayer room through these doors. Fellowship, Abel, God bless you. Let's go and see our city change for Christ. We love you. See you next week.